Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Hi fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Sean Basto. Shortly to be joined by Johnston Brown for this episode of the Legendary Night series as voted for by you, the users of Twitter and Facebook. This is the tale of Barry McWiggan's quest to become a world champion as he faced off against Eusebio Pedroza in 1985. But before we get into this episode, as always, go and find us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify and any other good available podcasting app out there so as voted for by you the users of twitter and facebook this is the tale of eusebio pedroza versus barry mcguigan so we're back johnston for another episode of legendary nights it feels like a very long time since we've done this and I think it has. I think it's been about a month, to be honest with you, since we put a Legendary Knights on. So I'm really happy to be getting back to covering the Legendary Knights series. Uh, and what a fight to be going through today. We've got the tale of Barry McGuigan and Eusebio Pedroza from 1985. Barry McGuigan's legacy-defining fight, his crowning moment. And we're here to break it down from the build-up, the fight itself, and the aftermath. And... First and foremost, Johnson, I've got to start by saying this was one of the one of the best fight atmospheres I'd, I'd, I'd ever seen looking back, you know, in history for all the different fights I've watched of myself over the years. 
I'd never really realised that this fight had so much atmosphere involved in it and that so many people were, were really behind Barry McGuigan to, to win this fight and win this world title. Right, for one, I mean, straight up, from what you just said, the old uh, legendary night, it's really great to be back and it has been a while, it feels like a long, long time, but what a cracking fight to, to get our teeth into and, and the, you're bang on, mate, the atmosphere was absolutely amazing. I mean, I mean Harry Carpenter was uh, commentating that night with Alan Minton as his co-commentator and and they couldn't, you know, that it was just an unreal experience for them. You, you could hear it as they're, they're commentating on the fight and, you know, they use that, that famous phrase, uh, unbelievable, which uh, I love to throw out there. Um, and it really was, it was just it deafening, wasn't it? I mean, you could you could pick it up from watching the fight on YouTube. So um, God knows what it was like to be there, 26,000 up, up at Loftus Road, QPR. And uh, it was just a, a great, great night for, for Barry McGuigan. And, and, and I must say that I'm really pleased to finally have to, have, to be doing Barry McGuigan. And it's a real pleasure and uh, hopefully we're doing justice tonight. Definitely. And I think, you know, when I look back on this fight, doing the research for this episode and not really fully realising how much of a big fight it was until I sat down and, and fully watched back through it. And then the sort of magnitude of it came to the forefront of my mind. And I was looking at it thinking, this is one of the big marquee sort of stadium fights that, you know, led us on to, to where we are in boxing now obviously there's been a lot of things that have changed in boxing but when you look back on this and the fact that they'd filled out Loftus Road and you know there wasn't a single seat in the house for this fight there was people were squeezing in everywhere to get to it and obviously it was a massive night not just for boxing in general but for for boxing in Ireland for of obviously the Irish fans you know they, they wanted somebody to support they wanted a big fighter and obviously in times of trouble which you know, it's well documented about the stories of, of Protestant and Catholics and certain areas being no-go areas and the IRA and all the political stuff that was going on over in, in Ireland and Northern Ireland. You know, this this was a big moment for, for Irish boxing fans in history. And, and for me, it was quite pivotal as well. So really happy to be going through the career uh, leading up to the fight for, for both fighters, really, because they've both got a great tale to tell in the lead-up to this particular fight. And I think we should start, really, with Eusebio Pedroza, because I don't know what a lot of people know about Pedroza, other than that he fought Barry McGuigan and lost his title. But I didn't realise this guy was an absolute animal. Looking back on history, looking back at what this guy achieved throughout his career, the guy was champion for seven years going into this fight with Barry McGuigan. Now, that is some feat that you do not see in boxing in this day and age. It, it really isn't. And Pedroza was... Uh, I, I think he's underestimated. He's one that sort of slipped under the radar. He really is an absolute pleasure to watch when, when you start from his early career and just just, I mean, on, on the night against Barry, it was actually, although Pedroza put in a great performance, I still believe that, you know, watching back on his career, there's a lot on YouTube out there as well. Um, this guy is a magnificent fighter. He really is. He's probably one of the best defensive fighters I've ever seen. He's class, absolute class. He's quick. You know, he's got great hands. He's got good feet. His accuracy, accuracy, sorry. His stamina is unreal. Um, I mean, if uh, the one name that springs to mind when I look at when I was watching Pedroza is he's better than put it this way, but he's like he's like a, a, a Santa Cruz, if you like a Leo Santa Cruz with his height uh, and the way he's just got a magnificent engine. He just doesn't stop. And 
And I tell you what, he's one fighter that, you know, I've, I've read about him before, but I didn't really look into his career as much as I have done, sort of look, researching this fight. And I must say that if nobody knows about Pedroza, please take yourself to YouTube. We'll go through some of, obviously, his career. We'll pick out some of the bigger fights, but there are some outstanding fights and his performances are, are ridiculously good. I mean, they really are. And, and he does actually get, sort of tagged as a bit of a dirty fighter because he can be a bit dirty and I like that about him to be fair that's, that's sometimes you've got to get down and dirty with it and, you know when you're in the ring you don't want to be too nice in there and uh, you know sometimes that, that, that will give you the edge and get the result you need so a magnificent fighter and one guy that as I say he slipped on the radar for me as I say I understood that he was a, one of the best Panamanian fighters uh, ever and, and, he, and he showed to me that I tell you what he's definitely one of the best well, he obviously, you know, the other name that springs out to mind when you think of Panamanian fighters is obviously Roberto Duran straight away. But Eusebio Pedroza was the one that sort of set the precedent for, for what was going to be a, a good era for, for Panamanian fighters, obviously with the likes of Pedroza and Roberto Duran sort of ruling the respective divisions, you know, for periods of time and, and going on to be involved in some, some great fights. Arguably, obviously, Duran has the better career given what he achieved, but Pedroza, for me, he's, he's obviously got to be the, the, the second best Panamanian fighter of, of all time. And, and sadly as well, he... he passed away earlier this year in March of this year he died at the age of 62 so it's quite a sad state of affair really when when I was looking back and I I'll be honest I didn't realize he'd passed away and I felt quite quite awful about that because obviously I'm quite you know clued up on all the the latest boxing news and obviously something would have been out at the time when he passed away and it just completely slipped my mind that he did pass away in in March of this year so you know we're talking about him post humorously here talking about sort of what he achieved in his career uh, and going into the McGuigan fight and this legendary night but starting with his career then and, and, and looking back he actually started his career in the bantamweight division before he went to featherweight and he went on that amazing run in the featherweight division he actually started out as a bantamweight and i think he made his way through through his career like every fighter does you know they go in there with with novice pros like himself and you work your way up and then you start to fight the more trickier fighters the fighters have got, got you know more 50 50 records and he actually picked up a loss earlier on in his career he started his career in 1973 gets to 1975 a few quite a few fights in as a KO loss to Alfonso Perez in 1975 back in Panama City loses that bounces back Four or five fights later, he gets his first world title shot in 1976 against Alfonso Zamora, where he fought for the WBA World Bantamweight title. Again, he lost, but he lost by KO, and that was his first world title challenge. That was the first time I think fans of, of this particular area had got to see that this guy's actually got something about him. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, I think the one thing is with him being at Bantamweight is the fact that I think because he was so tall, I mean, he was what? Five foot nine was he? He was knocking on six foot. So, you know, you could, you know, for him to boil down to that bantamweight, it, it was obviously difficult for him. And I think it showed against Zamora, who was a big puncher. He was, you know, he was a heavy knockout artist, Zamora. And, uh, you know, he got rid of him in two rounds. And, and you know, to then go on again and continue in, in, at the bantamweight uh, division and, and in his next fight against. Um, Arnold, uh, Oscar Arnold, and he got knocked out again in the sixth of ten. So, you know, we had those two back-to-back losses, and um, clearly, uh, you know, I think I think the bantamweight division just wasn't right for him, and I think he he understood that and realised 
in actual fact he's going to move up to the to the featherweight division. And and, and I tell you what, it was the best move he ever did because it was after that that fight against Arnold that he he went on this tremendous run and. And, and the first fight, you know, he, he finally gets a title shot for the WBA featherweight title against um, Lastra. And uh, and he proved to, to, again, you know, what, what he did prove this time was that he was ready for it. You know, he lost that fight against Zamora and against Arnell, and he made sure that he wasn't going to make the same mistakes again. And and he was he was brilliant that night. He really was. He worked behind his jab. He has got an absolutely a, a, a brilliant engine and a fantastic jab. And, and what he does really well is he sort of throws this this whipping uppercut from, from range. And, and I tell you what, it causes so much trouble. And as I say, he just got this fantastic engine. And Pedroza had Lastra down in the 12th, and he put him down again in the 13th with an uppercut. And, and, I, and it was that point where um, Lastra tried to get back on his feet and, and basically where he had seen enough. But he was outstanding. It was, you know, it was a stinging right and a left uppercut, which sent the champion down. And um, basically, he was winded. He was all over the place, and it was just—he literally, I think, I think the experience of the Zamora fight and Arnell fight, and he looked at it and he thought, you know what, you know, he had he, he had Lastra's number, and he put on a fine performance that night, and and it is a really, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a significant moment for Pedroza because he picked up that featherweight title, which he would not give away for a very long time. Well, I think we've got to remember as well at this point in time, he's only 22 years old. So he took them losses early on in his career at a very young age. And I think if you are a professional and you are going to take a loss, it's probably better to get that loss earlier on, to be honest with you. Too many fighters focus on undefeated records. And I think back in different eras, like the 70s and the 80s, it wasn't all about the undefeated records. It was about the fighters getting in there and fighting the best fighters, which is what people get frustrated about in 2019. And the only thing that's really brought fighters together in a, in a really good way over the past two years is the inception of the World Boxing Super Series. And that is what's bringing us some fantastic fights at the moment. But back in 1970s, this, you know, this was a case of these guys would go in there and they would fight the best fighters that they could fight at the time. The matchmaking was a lot better. And then you'd get these fights. And obviously he got his victory over Cecilio Lastra to pick up that WBA World Featherweight title in 1978, which would start off what would be an historic run. So we're not going to go over all of the fights during this run, but there's a couple of fights we said we've sat down and we've selected that we, we wanted to touch on and Pedroza's career. And there, there, was, there was two in particular that I really enjoyed looking back on, and I, there may be ones that you looked back on that I haven't had the chance to, but the two that I look back on in particular, which I found really, really impressive victories for him, was the one against Rocky Lockridge in 1980 and against Pat Ford in 1981. He picked up victories in both of them, defending his WBA featherweight title. And I was just really impressed with the way he moved around the ring, the way he was throwing them combinations out. And something that you pointed out a little bit earlier was his frame at featherweight. He was big. He was so big for a featherweight. I think if he was fighting in 2019, you'd probably be looking at him as a, a, a super lightweight. I think he could probably be a super lightweight in this day and age. This is featherweight. So this is two weights below. So the, the guy used to boil down to bantamweight. How the hell he did that, I would never know. But he obviously did, and making that decision, as you said earlier, was the best thing he ever did. But at Featherweight, he was still he was still a big guy for Featherweight, I think, and it wouldn't have surprised me if he, you know, he 
if he would have moved up a little bit sooner, maybe he could have gone on and, and fought in, in different weight categories. But going back to the, the point at hand, really, the two fights I was really interested in that I really enjoyed watching back were the Lockeridge and Ford fights. What fights did you get the opportunity to look back on in this particular career of Pedroza? The one, the one before that was, was the Ruben Oliveira. As you can see, there's a highlight on YouTube of it. There isn't a full fight. I think there used to be, but it was taken off and... He beat Oliveira in 12 rounds. Uh, it was a bit of a pass in the torch. Ruben Oliveira, obviously, although he did progress on for a few more years beyond peak, um, he was he was obviously it was a pass in the torch fight for me. But then from there, it was the Lockeridge fight. It was a dirty fight. Um, he, he put himself in and uh, and, and he, he done what everything he needed to do to win that fight. And, and to be fair, against Rocky Lock, Lockridge as well, I mean, he, he was actually under um, uh, Bob Arum and Lou Duva. Uh, they were the two guys that that were behind Rocky. And um, and as I say, it was a bit of a below par performance from um, from Pedroza. But you know, he did. He sort of lost those opening rounds and then came back, and it was a split decision. And the South African referee voted for the champion, and the judge from New Jersey voted for Lockridge. We voted for Lockridge. The fans voted for Lockridge here at ringside, but they. Champion remains Pedroza. And let's go to ring to the ring in Dick Stockton. All right, Tim Ryan, as you said, and we pointed out earlier with the fans voting, it was a pro Lockwood's crowd, and they gave him all the early rounds, and perhaps Pedroza might have won a few. I've got to say, uh, a tremendous victory, if for only that you were behind early. Tell me, why did he fall behind early? Look like he had no snap in his punches, and he came on. What were the thoughts? Dice que al principio eh, vos estabas eh, debajo en los puntos, pero que viniste de atrás yes. hacia adelante. Gave, para ganar. ¿Qué pensás de eso? ¿Por qué hiciste eso? Dígale, ¿cómo es? Que hice la pelea así, por decir razón de que el contrario, primera vez que yo lo había conocido, yo nunca había sabido nada de Rocky Lopez. Y estaba muy fuerte el muchacho y era un buen prospecto. Y tenía por esa razón, comenzaste acá a los finales. He think he never saw before Lockridge to fight. He said that Lockridge was a very good challenger, very strong, but at the end of the fight he was stronger than Lockridge. He had a better condition and that's because of the reason he was, was a Silvio concerned losing those early rounds, which apparently he did. Porque sé que Pavel lo iba a dominar por la sencilla razón de que Rocky Lockridge es un muchacho que siempre viene hacia adelante y por esa sencilla razón tenía que aguantarme. He said that he never was concerned about to lose the first round because he knows that Lockridge was coming all the time and at the end of the fight in the last round he can beat Lockridge in the way that he did. All right, congratulations, champion. You've maintained it for Panama City. You're a big hero there. It probably should have gone Rocky Lockeridge's way. Again, the fight is on YouTube. Um, there was an issue in that fight, which which I did pick up on, and and um, it was the fact that apparently they, they said that that Pedroza had taken a foreign sub substance during the fight, and um, there is actually uh, video footage confirmed uh, that something indeed was placed in Pedroza's mouth uh, by his manager uh, Santiago Del Rio. Uh, but Pedroza basically, he said it was just uh, it, it was a load of nonsense, and, and the accusations were incorrect. What he said was, "Is I take I take some ice in my mouth between rounds. I didn't need anything during the fight. I am too I'm in too good a condition to 
take anything like that. Um, and then basically what happened was is is Pedrosa did, did a urine uh, urine test after, um, and basically there was nothing in his system. So whether it, it looked a bit dodgy, uh, but you know at the end of the day, it, it, nothing you know nothing concrete come back. So he, he don't he don't he obviously wasn't cheating. And in the Pat Fault fight, I mean the Pat Fault fight for me is, is probably the best performance I've ever seen from this guy. If anybody, I would encourage anyone if you don't know about Pedrosa, literally go on YouTube put in. Pedroza v. Ford, and it is a belter of a fight. Not in terms of the fact that it's a close fight. Pedroza is just on he's just on fire. He is absolutely outstanding in this fight. It's one of the best performances I've seen from, from anyone. And, and Pat Ford was... He had literally just taken Salvador Sanchez a, a, a distance, basically. I, I, I think it was a distance. I'm sort of uh, making a bit of an assumption here. But he basically put in a good performance against Sanchez. And because of the Lockeridge fight... People felt that this was going to be uh, Ford's night, and it wasn't. And basically, Pedroza just put in this masterclass. He was, you know, the body assaults were devastating, and Ford just couldn't stand up to him. Can't punch him without standing. His movement, his engine, and eventually he stopped him in the 13th round. Boxing's going to need a lot of big fights to remove the stench of recent developments that have covered the pages of your newspapers. This was a working man's fight. Pedroza, who knows his business, and the stamina was to play a part, there is utterly no evidence of any fatigue on Pedroza's part, quite the opposite, it is four, the crowd is rising to it now. And I must say, that is just a, is a great performance from Pedrosa and one that I really encourage anyone that doesn't know anything about him or has never seen the fight, go back and watch it and you will see how much of a fantastic fighter Pedrosa was. I totally agree with you. I really do. I think like when I looked back on his career, I wasn't really sure about what I was going to see throughout this career. Obviously... I'd done a little bit of research on him before that. I kind of knew him as the guy that Barry McGuigan won the world title from. I knew him as a guy who was a champion for a long period of time. I didn't truly appreciate how good of a fighter he really was until I actually sat down and used the footage that's available to us on YouTube to be able to really study the guy and the way he moved around the ring and the way he threw combinations and the way... You know, when he was throwing the punches in and he get out, he was still throwing punches as he was stepping back. The way he threw punches as he was stepping back was, was fantastic. He was, it's something we'll talk about with the Barry McGuigan fight that he used a few times there as well. But, you know, in general, his, his ring craftsmanship was, was unbelievable. Unbelievable, as you were saying earlier on. This is a guy that I think is, is very under, underrated in terms of what he's achieved in the sport. Uh, and his boxing ability, and I, I do feel a little bit like maybe we didn't really get to see the the, the, the the mega mega fights for him. I think that's one of the things that I picked up on looking back on his career that maybe the one thing he was missing from his career 
was probably a mega fight, which he didn't have the opportunity to get. But after the victories we were talking about earlier from 1980, 1981, you know, the, the victories over Pat Ford, he then moved on, continued, obviously, on his run that he was on to defend his title. And then, obviously, we get into 1982. He's, he fights Rocky Lockridge again, beats him by unanimous decision, gets a draw with Bernard Taylor, who was 18-0 at the time. And this was actually a mutual, who ended up being a mutual opponent because as we move into Barry McGuigan's career, Barry McGuigan would have eventually fight him a little bit later on down the line as well but this was a, another significant fight for him and a fight which ended up a draw on the cards yeah it did and and you know he was it was a good fighter the american um it wasn't it, it, it was it, i think it was supposed to be a bit of a layup and uh that's my assumption um but but pedroza was uh you know he I say the. I mean, after that, obviously, after that, the, the Lockeridge fight, it, it wasn't as close as as what the, the first one was. But you know, there were some violent exchanges in the Taylor fight. Uh, but Pedroza just managed. Uh, I, I think what it was. I think he. I don't know if he underestimated him. I don't know. But um, you know, he, he just um, maybe just took his, his his eye off the ball a little bit. Um, I think he. I think for me, I think with Pedroza, I think he found it difficult. To, to get himself up for those, like you say, because he didn't have the markings. Maybe he had the Lockeridge fight sort of in his head going into it, maybe. But um, I mean, you say the one the one fight that I think uh, sort of around 1981-82 would have been uh, Salvador Sanchez. You know, he was the other featherweight around at the time, and he was the number one. And obviously, we all know what happened with Salvador Sanchez. He unfortunately uh, died uh, really young in a motorcycle. In a car, I think it was a motorcycle a car accident. It might have been car actually. Um, but yeah. Um, really sad because obviously that would have been something that could have happened and what a fight that would have been because those two at their peaks not much difference in size both got great engines both excellent boxers it would have been you probably would have seen a trilogy between them two to be honest with you and what what what, what you know you, you can only dream of those fights unfortunately never happened but yeah i mean at the end of the day um he, he what he did was was cement his legacy by just continually holding on to this title and and doing what he done, moving into the McGuigan fight. So we move on then, and we've talked about his impressive career leading up to the McGuigan fight. And I think it's significant to highlight the fact about the numbers leading up to this fight. So he was undefeated in seven years, held the WBA and lineal featherweight championship from 1978 up until 1985. And he successfully defended the title 19 times, which is a record for that division. And I believe a record that still stands today in 2019. So he'd 19 times he defended that title. Absolutely ridiculous. You just don't see that now at all. You hear about the guys like Larry Holmes and Joe Lewis, who, you know, who make successful defences of, of like 19, 20, 21 defences. You know, these, these were guys that were only once in a lifetime, once in a generation fighters and Pedroza 19 successful defences before we got to the McGuigan fight. So McGuigan's story obviously is uh, a little bit different because of course he come from a period of time and an era as I said at the top of the show, really, where there was constant fighting uh, between Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, and obviously there was the religious aspects of it, the Catholics and Protestants, and then you also had the IRA, a terrorist group based 
in Ireland that were also causing lots of havoc along with the political situation. So, you know, you hear all the stories about fighters growing up in Ireland and how difficult it was for them, you know, growing up in a period of time like that. And boxing was a massive escape for them. And this was no different for Barry McGuigan. Barry McGuigan, for me, you know, again, a guy that's probably underrated in terms of, of what he actually went on to achieve in his career. He might have not been... Uh, a triple weight champion, he might have not been a unified champion in his career, but from where he came from to where he got to in his career, I think is is something to behold. So he made his debut in 1981. So when he started out his career, again, as with Eusebio Pedroza, very early on in his career, he picked up a loss on points in 1981 against Peter Eubank in only his third fight. And I think that's something, again, that I'll go back to because... You do see this quite a lot when you when you talk about legendary nights or career profiles, and you look at some of the great fighters over the years. Every single one of them fighters, at some point in their career, took a loss. There's not many of them that didn't. You've got the exceptions of Rocky Marciano and and Joe Calzaghe, and and obviously you've got guys like today Floyd Mayweather. But you know the the true icons of the sport the, the the ones that people really consider to be the greatest in the sport took a loss at some point for Barry McGuigan it was in his third fight and obviously he came back from there avenged that loss actually to Peter Eubank a little bit later on that year got his venge over him and actually stopped Peter Eubank in the rematch and then went on and I think again without really going full deep diving into his career I think the big significant fight for me in his career was in 1982 the 14th of june 1982 i think it's a night to this day he's never going to forget he's going to live with that night for the rest of his days and that was the night he went in against norton one boxer young ali at the world sporting club in mayfair and he, he won of course he won that fight he knocked him out he was a obviously a very very novice pro young ali but it was the aftermath of the fight which has obviously left that lasting legacy in Barry McGuigan's life and his mind. Unfortunately, young Gali passed away as a result of injuries sustained from the fight with Barry McGuigan. And this would prove significant going through Barry McGuigan's career and something that we'll touch on a little bit later on in the episode. But I think for me that was probably the first significant fight in his career. Not because... He was going in against the novice pro who he knocked out, but the implications of what happened after that fight for me were, were more than significant and, and could have a massive effect on a boxer's career given what happened to young Ali. Oh, absolutely. And and, and I can you can completely understand it. I mean Barry McGuigan it affected him that badly that he actually debated on whether to carry on boxing. Um it was a you can understand it, you know. He, he put the guy down, and he went into a coma, and he never, he never come out. I think they, he got on a plane, a uh, young Ali, and went to Nigeria, and eventually died. What five months later, um, and it was, it just it affected him badly. And, and, and you know, it's, that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, God, you get to think being, you know, the family around young Ali, but also the guy that he was in the ring with, and, and Barry was an emotional guy. You know, he, he wore his heart on his sleeve, and that was what. That was a part of the draw with, with Barry, and that's why people liked him. He didn't care if he was Catholic, if you were Protestant, if you were Loyalist or Unionist, whatever you are. You know, it didn't matter to him. It was just, it's just, it's just boxing, obviously. Famous lead the fight to McGuigan quote um, is something that happened early in his career, in his amateur, before he even turned pro, which was where the famous story where 
you know, all, all the different sides put their literally left their guns at the door and went to watch Barry. And then from that point, um, it was always leave the fight to Barry, uh, leave the fight to McGregor. Sorry, and um, and you know, it must have been hard for for, for Barry to to come from come back from that, but he did, um, and he moved on. And he also he went on to actually become the first Irish Irishman to fight for a British world title as well in um, the 12th of April, 1983, against uh, Vernon uh, Pemprade. He actually refused to wear any of the nation's colours and instead wore a symbol of, of a dove of peace. And, yeah, just, just to make 100 cents sure, make it clear that, you know what, I'm not choosing any side. You know, Barry had to uh, pass the, the Irish checkpoints just to go to his gym in the mornings. And, uh, you know, for him, he, he was right in the middle of it and he didn't want anything... He didn't want his boxing associated with that. He wanted everyone to, to come together. And that's what makes him so powerful. It's, it's, it's irrelevant of people look at it and think, well, we, how many titles did he win? And when he won the title, he didn't hold on to it very long. True. But the fact of the matter is, what he did for our, for Irish boxing was just unbelievable. It really was. It was stunning. And, and it is, you know, you've got the documentary on ITV about Barry McGuigan. I, I encourage anyone to watch that. And it gives you the insights of actually the troubles he went through. But, you know, obviously we've got to move on, but um, yeah, becomes the first ever Irishman to win the British title in 1983. Oh, what a left hand from McGuigan. Oh, oh, and the legs have gone. Oh, the legs have gone. They come together again. Barry McGuigan just closing again a little soon. And drama indeed in this second round. McGuigan again, chopping viciously and finally goes. of that face and it's been stopped it's been stopped in the second round oh it only lasted two rounds at the end of the second round it's all been stopped and the whole thing really went Barry McGuigan's way he does and then he moves on. He gets his first fight outside uh, of the UK or Ireland when he goes over to America, to Chicago, in July of 1983 and picks up a KO victory over Lavon McGowan before coming back to the Ulster Hall, his home in Belfast, and beating Ruben Dario Hosane, which led him in to a fight, moving up the ladder in his career, fighting for the vacant European featherweight title against Valerio Nate. And that was a successful night for him at the King's Hall in Belfast as he picked up the victory in six rounds. Nate was beaten. He won the European featherweight title. And as a result of that, again, he starts to get this momentum behind him. And I think, I know... This is is this is a big fight that we're going to be talking about the the Pedroza fight and the implications of that. But I think at this point in time, you're going into 1983, and as you was rightly pointing out, what this was doing for for Irish boxing was very significant because you you know no matter who you were, no matter which side you were on, no matter which religion you were, no matter whether you were black, whether you were white, you were a fan of Barry McGuigan and you were a fan of boxing. And as a result of him winning the British title and then the European title, this fan base started to follow him. The people started to really jump on the bandwagon because they had someone to follow. They had someone to support and this was massive. This was exactly what Ireland needed at this moment in time. And getting that victory over Natty was huge for him. Great performance as well. If you go back and look at that on YouTube, actually, it was a really, really impressive performance. And, you know, one thing I, I underrated about him as a fighter, Barry McGuigan, is that his aggressiveness. He was such an aggressive fighter. He, you know, he, he never really wanted to take a backward step in any of his fights that were involved in. 
And when he boxed, he boxed really well. But he was also very aggressive. He, you know, for for anybody who, you know, has, who's lived through that particular area of Barry McGregor and when he was fighting, and also has obviously watched the likes of Ricky Hatton, you'll probably see a lot of similarities, you know, in terms of the way they fight. When I looked back at Barry McGregor and looked back more into his career and his fights, I actually looked at it and thought, that's that's you know that's like what I seen with Ricky Hatton in his career when he was coming up and the way he was just so ragged and you know so so aggressive and it was all educated pressure throughout his fights and it was the way he was able to get through the fights and and it wasn't so much bulldozing his way through the opponents but it was more systematically breaking them down and picking up the victories and that's how he was stopping his opponents he was systematically breaking them down and at this point when he won that European title he was on a good little run as well because he'd been stopping fighters and I think in the seven or eight fights leading up to the European title fight he'd actually stopped all but one uh, where one of them was just classed as a retirement in the corner as opposed to an actual knockout. But for me, this was significant because then he moves on to his career and then you start to think to yourself, you know, is this guy going to eventually go on to, to World Honours? And of course, we'll get to that in a few moments. But going back to his career then, Johnston, after that victory for, for the European title, what other significant fights would you say was he involved in leading up to the Pedroza fight? Well, the, the Nazi fight, obviously, it, it actually uh, made him the number one contender as well for the WBA title, um, who which Pedroza hold, held in 83. So it took a while for, even though he was a European champion, you know, he was obviously eyeing up Pedroza early, um, you know, in, in hope that, you know, he's a number one contender, why can't he be getting his shot kind of thing? But, you know, he, 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 he went through the domestic route, he won the British title, he won the European title, and then he went on to defend it. And I suppose... Against the Spanish guy, uh, Esteban uh, Iguana. Uh, Iguana. I, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to murder the guy's name. But uh, yeah, he defended the title against the Spanish fella at the Royal Albert Hall, which was uh, obviously the Royal Albert Hall was a stunning venue. Well, obviously that I'm glad that's made a return because it's uh, it's a great venue. But he got rid of him in three rounds, and and then I suppose again, you know, um, Orozco, uh, the, the Venezuelan. I think he was in uh, in Kings Hall, Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, he was actually a, a former world title challenger, so another decent name on his record. Um, and then eventually, he would defend his title against um, Clyde Ruan, um, and that was literally just before, for me, was the probably I, I believe this is probably the best performance from Barry McGregor. I mean, you talk about you know his style and that he was busy, wasn't he? He was just he, would, he wanted to get he, he closed that ring down so quickly, he wanted to cut the corners off and. And put the pressure on you, and then obviously the the one Laporte fight for me is his greatest performance. I think it's his most finest performance, and it was, uh, it, you know, one thing with uh, it was interesting with Laporte who uh, went in. Um, he actually went on to fight Julio Cesar Chavez a year later, which was something I didn't know, um, and uh, and many felt Laporte actually deserved to get a decision over Chavez. Um, uh, but uh, Chavez won a unanimous decision. But um, it's just an interesting fact of what I throw in there. But as I say, Barry was, you know, he, he, would, he, would, he would take the centre of the ring early, he would try to cut the ring off, he would get on your chest, he would throw, throw the left, the, the, the jab, the, and, and then he would follow up with lovely right hooks to the body. He would look, he would, he would throw straight. He, his head movement was class, the way he could slip a jab and get on the inside, whether he ducked under it or slipped left and right of it and then got in close. It was, 
you know, one thing we do see against Pedroza is what he does there, and, and he done it just. He was a masterclass against Laporte, Laporte, and and it was a stunning performance from um, from Barry in the Kings Hall, um, another good good venue, and he loved fighting in Kings Hall in Ireland in Belfast, and uh, he had an electric atmosphere, and 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 he got the result. He, he ended up winning it on a ten round decision. He did. He had one more fight before we get into our headline act. And that was against Farid Galuze. And it was defending the European title once more time, winning at the Wembley Arena with a TKO victory, which finally got him that shot at the WBA World Featherweight title at Loftus Road, the home of Queen's Park Rangers. Now, this was where we get into the build-up of it. I think that Pedroza is a legendary fighter. Uh, he's a legend in his own lifetime, and he's going for his 20th defence now. And uh, I think he'll take an awful lot of beating. Uh, in fact, if Barry were to lose the fight on points, it would be no shame because, I mean, Pedroza has beaten everyone uh, in, the last, uh, in his last 19 defences. All the, ch- the, the current champions, he's beaten them all. I don't think the people realise just how good this fellow is. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people are saying, ah, you no problem, you'll, you'll, you'll beat him, you know, this sort of thing. But I don't think they, they, they really understand. I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that, they're, that they're, they've got confidence in me, but I don't think they realise how good this guy is. He's, he's really exceptionally good, and he's been the champion for seven or eight years, and he's, uh, he's defended against everybody. There wasn't, wasn't a lot of spite. There wasn't anything where we can say there was major sort of, of significant... Uh, they wasn't throwing tables at each other. There was no fisticuffs. There was no major sort of issues. It was it was quite respectful and it was quite, you know, tense. But it was huge because the implications of, of victory for Barry McGuigan was massive. And, you know, we, we'll, we'll come to the sort of entrances and, and the actual atmosphere in the stadium in a few moments. But the build-up for this, I don't really seen to find that there was a lot of spite in between. I didn't, I didn't find anything as such regarding this. That I felt to myself, well, actually, you know, that was probably regarded as controversy. There wasn't really controversy surrounding it. It was a fight that was, I think a lot of people felt was going to be a very tense one because of the fact that, you know, you had the guy who, who'd been unbeaten in seven years, had been the champion for, for seven years, 19 successful defences, making his 20th defence of the title against the guy who'd grinded and clawed his way to this point in time. You know, I would have liked to have seen what the odds would have been specifically for this particular fight, but I'm assuming that Pedroza would actually have been the favourite for it. I, I put both of them. Um, the better boxer of the two is um, 
Joseph because he's got the the skills, you know, and everything. Barry is a busy fighter. He's a busy fighter. He's always on you, throwing punches, you know, moving. Uh, but the skill, you know, Pedrosa's has. He has it. Barry has the strength. I think if Barry put pressure on Pedrosa, I think he might put him out before before the sixth or seventh round. But it depends. He can't just uh, just go in there and wait because if he waits, he's gonna just stop himself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think I think even even the person suggests that for me when Pedrosa's purse was a million. Dollars and McGuigan got a hundred thousand, which is uh, quite significant. It's quite funny that, that McGuigan picked up a hundred thousand dollars for the fight when he got twenty six thousand fans. You know, half of Ireland travelled over for, for this fight to support Barry. I mean, you had Catholics, Protestants, Republic, Republicans, lo- loyalists, unionists, nationalists, whatever you name it, they're all there and they're all there to, to back Barry. And it was an estimated ten to twelve thousand that flocked to London. Support Barry, so half of them were were Irish, and the rest were were, were English or Scottish or anywhere in Britain, um, and they were all there to support one man, which which is beautiful, isn't it? Really, I mean, it, it, we don't really. So I think you know, you mentioned Ricky Atten, he's probably the closest to, to a Barry fan base as you can get, really. I mean, you know, it, it, nowadays it's sort of it's cementing around a football culture or you know an area of someone. You very rarely see people. Unless you talk about Anthony Joshua, end up really backs him. So, um, I mean, it was it was just a, a you know, fantastic venue, you know, QPR, um, a pretty new stadium, I believe, back then as well, or, or they were developing the new stadium. But um, I, I mean, the only controversy there was a lot of respect between the two. But uh, the one controversial thing that happened was minutes before the fight, uh, McGuigan made his way to the ring, and Pedroza's manager, San, Santiago Del Rio. Uh, basically marched into the uh, in, into to uh, McGuigan's dressing room and demanded the bandages on the hand be ripped off, as he had not witnessed them being strapped on. So, although the British Boxing Board of Control were there and the WBA official oversee the, the, the wraps being strapped, uh, Del Rio wasn't satisfied. So um, it doesn't actually say whether they were ever redone. I'm assuming they were, um, so I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, so that was literally just leading up to the fight, and, and Barry obviously. Um, Obviously, unnerved him a little bit because he was an, emo- an emotional guy. Anyway, I mean, there was one report that said he actually, he actually sent him to tears. Obviously, with all the emotion and wanting to get this fight underway. Um, and, and the only other thing was, was Barry admitted himself that in uh, the week leading up to the fight, Barry had actually injured his left elbow in sparring. He had a mixture of South Americans uh, helping him to pre- to prepare for Pedroza. Um, and ironically, it was um, in his last bar against uh, David Irving, um, when actually Barry threw like a long left hook and strained his elbow. Um, he kept it quiet. He didn't want to mention anything in the week leading up to the fight. Say so was, you know, he didn't want to give anything away. And he told Barney Eastwood, who was his manager, um, and if anyone remembers, uh, he always called uh, Barney Eastwood Mr. Eastwood, um, and he yeah, had the famous song of um, uh, "Thank You Very Much, Mr. Eastwood," which was. Uh, Dermot Morgan, the old father Ted guy, um, he he done a great sketch of uh, thank you very much, Mr. Eastwood. It really it was just tickled me. Uh, and so Mr. Eastwood said to him, um, Barney Eastwood, that is, he said, uh, so what? You can beat this guy with one hand. So that's the only little sort of, I suppose, moments in the build-up that I, could, I picked up on. Other than that, it was very respectful, and um, they both were just ready to, to to tango, basically. So the atmosphere in Loftus Road was absolutely unbelievable. 
and I don't think many would have seen an atmosphere like that at that period of time in the UK for for a very long period of time. And and, and watching back on it, even though this was before my time, I was born in '86. I know you was born a, a couple of years before that, but you know, for for me, you wouldn't have really got an atmosphere like that around the time. And I think I was really, really sort of took aback when I actually watched back the full footage of it. And I was like, I would have loved to have been there. That would be a fight I would have loved to have been ringside for because the atmosphere absolutely made that fight what it was. And the only comparison I could make was was Ricky Hatton Costa Zoo. Again, Ricky Hatton, because obviously I was a big follower of his career. So for me, looking back on that, that was amazing to see. Him coming to the ring, the applause he was getting, puts... You know, hairs on the back of your neck and getting in the ring and then obviously his dad who was obviously a well-known singer had been involved in the Eurovision Song Contest comes in the rings and sings Danny Boy you know fantastic song famous song uniting song and his dad's there in the middle of the ring singing it in basically before the introductions are being done in the fight and I thought that was an absolutely amazing touch and you don't really see a lot of that you know these days with something so significant and a fight so significant No, you don't, and, and I'll tell you what, that, when when I see that, that, when we was putting the videos out for the poll, that was the first thing straight away I had to put that video out because it is, you know, it really does, uh, your, head, your, head, your hair stands up on end when, when you watch it and you can just feel the emotion and them singing along with his dad, Pat, as well. It's really just, it's just stunning to see. And it, I mean, 26,000 in that stadium and they were all on their feet. It was packed to the rafters. You know, you had, what, 20 million people watching in the UK alone on this fight, watching it live. Um, you know, it was just, it was a great occasion. You could really feel the sense of the occasion. And I have got a little quote here for, from Barry, and this is just before he walked out. He said, he said, I was nervous. It was very difficult not to be nervous. There were 12,000 Irishmen coming over for the fight. There were jumbo jets flying in from Belfast and Dublin. I could hear the noise in the locker room. I could feel the ground trembling because we were in underneath in the cement. We were in the home dugout and he was in the opposing teams. Um, you could hear the ground shaking and throbbing before uh, when they were bandaging up and, and gloving up. And the floor manager came in and said, let's go. Uh, when we came out, the noise was deafening, just deafening. So Barry, obviously, you know, on the way out, it was the other issue with, with uh, Pedroza's manager, but, um, you know, it was chaos trying to watch that that the uh, footage coming out on YouTube, and it's just mayhem. It's like no walkway what you see today with bodyguards. It was just a crowd of people, and somehow he got to the ring. But yeah, it, everything about this fight, it just the build up was nice, and it was just a uh, it set the scene for um, a, a really fantastic, great, excellent fight. It did, and then one little comical moment just before the fight was oh, about to yeah. get underway it was the the little Irish uh, midget, as they called it, or vertically challenged person, was in the ring, uh, dressed up as a little leprechaun, running around the ring. And I know there's a little story behind it, and I know you've come prepared with that story. So let the listeners know <laughs> the story behind the little Irish leprechaun in the ring before Barry McGuigan goes into the biggest fight of his life. 
Right, yeah, sorry, that I did miss that. Barney Eastwood basically was fascinated with a boxer called Sean O'Greedy. Um, he fought in the United States and promoters dressed up as the wolf to uh, toss him around like a little leprechaun. Um, so he thought, why not repeat the act at Loftus Road? So, well, Barney thought Pedroza might be a bit superstitious. Um, so if he's seen a leprechaun, so he's thinking, so all he did was he hired a dwarf uh, from a local circus. He dressed him in a green garb, wearing a bowler hat, uh, to perform cartwheels and throw green dust at the Pedroza corner, pretending to cast an Emerald Isle spell on them for the little people. <laughs> so that, that was that was the thoughts behind uh, <laughs> Mr. Eastwood. Um, so yeah, that was what the little letcon was about, basically, was uh, to try and put Pedroza off and hope that he would be a bit superstitious. And uh, <laughs> it was funny to see, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, you know, to be honest, it was uh, it was hilarious when I was watching back, and I was thinking, you've got such a, a fight of big magnitude here, and you've got this guy running around the ring, like it's just shades of uh, it's just shades of WWE, isn't it? You know, like it's just just a sort of trying to put your opponent off by doing anything you can. I just thought it was hilarious, but then we got to the serious side of what was going on, the fight itself. We, we do move into the fight and breaking down this particular fight now, and I think I was talking about Barry McGuigan being like a little terrier dog, and he was like a little terrier dog. He came out of the blocks flying. He came out of there to match Pedroza toe-to-toe. He wasn't going to let Pedroza get the centre ring, and that's exactly what McGuigan did. He took centre ring, and he started to get in there, and he was starting to throw the shots, and, you know, he was, he was, he was fantastic to watch, you know. All I'm going to say is for anybody that listens to this Legendary Night series, if you haven't watched the fight, as yet, and you're listening at this point, you need to watch the fight. Maybe even watch it along while we're giving our sort of breakdown of how this fight went down because it was fantastic. You know, you get the first few rounds of the fight where, you know, Barry McGuigan's got to make sure he can get under that wicked jab of Pedroza's, and that's exactly what he was doing. Constantly fainting, jerking as he's going in, trying to get underneath the jab, trying to get the body shots in, getting out just as quick. And obviously, Pedroza had the the, the frame and the reach. The, you know, he had the he had the physical advantages to make this such an easy night for himself. And I think that the early signs for me were that Pedroza were taking advantage of that physical attribute that he had over Barry McGuigan. And I think McGuigan was 100 miles an hour that night and he was never going to stop. And, you know, within them first few rounds of the fight, it just became quite evident that this was going to be a, a brilliant fight. And one of the things that I noticed not just in the early rounds, but I think every round. At the start of every single round of the 15 rounds that this fight took place, you watch the corners and you watch Barry McGuigan get up before the minute's up and sprint to the middle of the ring. He was ready for every single round. Whereas Pedroza, it was quite, he was quite lazy, you know. He was just slow at getting up and getting out of his corner and... You know, I, I always wondered, you know, what the logic was behind that. Was he just tired? I think people forget that Pedroza at this point as well. You know, you think, oh, he's he's, he's this aging champion. He's, you know, he's he was actually only twenty nine at the time of this fight. He was twenty nine years old. He's the he, Pedroza was the same age as what Canelo was in twenty nineteen today, and look where Canelo was in his career. So it wasn't a case of he was an old man that night. He was a very established a champion. He was. You know, a guy that had been around for quite a while, but I don't think there was, I don't think it was that many miles on the clock. I, I wouldn't have liked to have said there was, 
you know, the, the the fights that he were involved in. He made a lot of them fights easy for himself. I know a lot of them were long fights that he were involved in because it was 15-round fights back then. But I don't think he was in wars, like real wars, where, you know, they were, they were taking the toll on him. I mean, I may be wrong. People might argue that point, but... For me, the first three rounds started out really well for Barry McGuigan. I think when you, when I, when I look at the first four rounds, I think it was probably even. I'd probably give two rounds each to you know Pedroza and McGuigan. I think that's how close it was in that sort of first quarter of the fight for me. Yeah, it really was, and and, and you're right with Pedroza. He was a. Uh, I don't know. If it, was it being was he being lazy or was he just literally just he was he sort of just tried to take a few seconds off the clock, didn't he? Every time he come out from, from the corner, he was literally on the bell and he'd still be sitting down or he'd, he'd deliberately, it felt like he'd deliberately forget his gum shield or, or something like that. But, um, you, you, I mean, one thing, you, you, you hang on, Barry McGuigan, I mean, he burst out at the right, every every time he was on his feet and he was ready to go, he would sprint to the middle of the ring and he would hold his own in there. That was that was the aim, is to hold that centre of the ring and, and to just continue to stick that jab and throw in those left hooks to the body and straight to the head and and it, you know it was just unbelievable energy from Barry um, I mean it was a great round in, in the second round for me and the way he was uh, was able to just slip just keep slipping that jab his head movement was outstanding uh, on the night and and Pedroza obviously you know trying to use his legs and, and Barry was trying to take the legs away from him and, and that's exactly what he was doing um, I'm I mean, one thing Barry did say is literally from the beginning, in his own words, he said, I, I tried to take his head off with the first ever punch. And he did. He literally, that was how he was going about his business. And he was fresh as a daisy from almost every round. I mean, obviously, we don't want to jump too far on. But, you know, as you say, it was pretty close in, in those in the first four rounds. And uh, in the fourth round in particular, Pedroza sort of delayed the fourth again, conveniently forgetting his gum shield and then, even even the commentator, you just what you mentioned earlier is uh, they actually compared um, Barry to an Irish terrier, which is exactly what he was like. He was just, you know, he was relentless on the night. And, and Pedroza, I mean, he landed a couple of good combinations. He would he would he would throw a left and a right and just throw it up, sort of throw it up with that superb, that effortless uppercut, which I love to see. That it was the way he throw the left sort of free punch combo, if you like, and that that sort of whipped in the uppercut and. It, for me, when you when I've watched Pedroza, when he starts whipping in that uppercut, it's when you can tell that Pedroza's feeling comfortable. So, obviously, he felt quite comfortable in and around the fourth round. It was a it was a good good round the fourth the fourth um, round, and um, the selection of punches from both of them was class. It was like left hook to the head to the body, and they were both targeting in sort of upstairs downstairs with uppercuts, and and, and they landed some flush shots in that fourth round. But it was pretty tight going into that fifth round. It was pretty tight, and I think. When you're looking to the next couple of rounds, the fifth and the sixth in particular, you know, you're starting to see that, you know, McGuigan is starting to get through his shots now and they're both throwing really good selection of shots in there. You know, you've got your uppercuts, you've got your hooks to the body, transitioning to the head. And, and I really, really enjoyed the, the, the activity from both men. And what I was saying earlier about Pedro's earlier fights, you know, the way McGuigan would come in and even though he was trying to force... The, the, you know the fight, and he was trying to get Pedroza onto the back foot. Even when Pedroza was stepping back, as I said earlier in previous fights, he'd still throw them long arms out, and he'd still throw some really good shots on McGuigan as McGuigan was coming in. And obviously, a few of them got through, a few of them hit gloves and arms, but it was it was significant game plan for him. Really, he was trying to he was trying to negate what Bamian McGuigan was trying to do. And then fifth and sixth rounds were just as competitive as the previous four. But I think. 
the the significant round of the fight, the main round of the fight is round number seven. I think this is where the tide certainly turns. So you come in just about halfway through the fight, seventh round there of a 15-round fight, and you get into this fight. And actually, this round, Pedroza is winning the round. Pedroza's actually, it's his, probably his best round of the fight today, funnily enough. He's actually been becoming more active in the round. He's pushing more on the front foot. He's landing more shots on McGuigan. And just out of nowhere, McGuigan lands an overhand right, which absolutely floors him. And this is where the crowd erupts. The crowd goes absolutely ballistic. Commentary, ballistic. Me sat there watching it, what, 20, 20 odd years later? Or, well, it's even longer than that. It's 30 odd years later. And I was going ballistic watching it. Yeah, it was a, it was a super. So, and the bag on, I mean, Harry Carpenter was even saying that Barry's falling short here, and and Pedroza was taking the round pretty much. And then, uh, literally, as Harry Carpenter was saying, uh, Barry hasn't found his range. And, and then, and then next thing you know, wallop, and, and it is literally Barry McGuigan just he throws this beautifully timed right hand. It was a nice counter, and and Pedroza didn't really see it coming, and it was a peach of a shot. And Pedroza obviously fell down to the canvas and went down for the can and Barry obviously we, it was it was quite quite close to the end of the round and, and Barry's tried to just go on a rally and, and attack Pedroza but um, again to, to Pedroza's credit to be fair his, his recovery is, is, is quite remarkable really how he was managed to to come back at Barry almost and you know it was it was a top notch round and and it was just a, it was a fantastic shot from Barry and and you sort of thought, like, you know, obviously we know we knew the result while we're watching the fight, but, you know, you try and picture what it would have been like watching it live and you sort of think, in that eighth round, here we go, I think I think Barry's, Barry's going to take him out. And, uh, and you know, Pedroza, again, he, he's just got this, this, this thing about him. He's got this great engine and he's obviously he's fit as a fiddle and, and he came out for the eighth round and he, next thing you know, he's having a go at Barry and he, he's throwing a couple of combos in and, and he took the first sort of minute of that eighth round with his stiff jab and sort of moving, circling around sort of to his left and sort of changing the angles and whipping in his uppercuts. You're thinking, my God, like, what, how the hell is this guy still managing? You know, normally we watch fights and we, we just expect that the guy's just been put down is going to be just in recovery and want to just try and keep him off him. But he wasn't nothing like that. Pedroza just carried on doing what, you know, what he was doing in the other rounds. And then... But then, sort of towards the end of the eighth, and, and it was sort of uh, Barry had a little go back at him, and and that was basically how it was tending to go until we move into one another fantastic round, which was the ninth. The ninth round was just as good as the seventh, and although we didn't see a knockdown in the ninth, we nearly did, and Pedroza was saved by the bell in the ninth because when McGuigan landed again with another combination, I think it was. Was it about two two minutes or so into the to the three minutes of the of the round, and he lands a great combination on him, 
and then all of a sudden that the fight changes again because Pedroza had you know he'd, he'd started well again in the round he'd, he'd started great and then obviously McGuigan had landed another significant combination again which obviously got Pedroza going so Pedroza's on his bike he's on the back foot McGuigan's obviously trying to get in there throw them punches he starts to land gets more significant punches in there was one point where I think he starts to completely stumble and you know you're thinking to yourself this is it this is where you know the, the fight's going to end and and the, you know essentially the fight could have could possibly could possibly have been stopped because he there's a point where he actually really badly stumbles around the ring like he's he, he looks like his his legs are completely gone from from under him and then by some chance he manages to keep himself up and then gets saved by the bell in the end of the ninth round and again you're thinking to yourself 10th round, here we go, he's going to have him, you know, he's going to finish the fight, he's got him again, his legs have gone, that's his it, and yet again, we get the same instance as we have in, in the previous rounds, he comes out of the he comes out of the blocks, very slow to get off his seat, very slow to get to the middle of the ring, McGuigan's already there, he's sprinted to the middle of the ring, he's ready, he's ready to finish his fight, he gets to the middle of the ring, he tries to start the round the way the previous round had ended, he just didn't initially get the same success I think Pedroza his powers of recovery were unbelievable the way he was able to recover from the end of round number 9 going into round number 10 I don't know how he did it it wasn't all swings and roundabouts for him because he was a little bit shaky in the first minute but then he started to get packed to his boxing and started to utilise that jab again and all of a sudden the fight is, is back to the way it was a couple of rounds earlier and you're thinking to yourself you know, is McGuigan going to stop him? Is he going to stop him? Or, you know, is, is Pedroza going to make some sort of historic comeback here as you're watching the fight? And even though I knew the result of the fight, they were the types of emotions I felt watching it. Even though I tried to block out of my mind, I knew the winner and I knew that Barry McGuigan wins the title. I sat there and tried to block this out of my mind and tried to watch it on the basis that I was watching the fight without knowing the result. And I think... It, it, you know, it just makes me feel like it's one of them fights like I would have loved to have been there for because I, I, I understand what the emo, emotional roller coaster would have been like for that fight. But that 10th round again was just as good because it was so significant that Barry McGuigan at this point, he's, he's, he's took over the fight. He's bossing the fight at this point and he's got to continue that through the next five rounds. Yeah, and, and the one thing about Barry uh, was that he had never been beyond the 10th round as well. So, you know, where we almost had him in the ninth and then sort of Pedroza comes out and he emerges slowly and off his stall in the tenth, he 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 still just he, I got he just nullified what Barry was doing and, and he did it in the eleventh as well. And Barry, don't get me wrong, Barry kept the pressure up, you know, he was relentless, he was trying to cut the corners off, you know, but but Pedroza just kept him at bay and every time sort of Barry did get close this this time, sort of in around the tenth and eleventh, he would he would tie him up. So now you're starting to see Pedroza. Obviously, the legs are going. And, you, you know, that's the one thing he needs. One thing he's great at is using his feet and, and being able to move around the ring and sort of popping that jab and then following it up with the, the, the nice sort of right and then the uppercut. You know, there was none of that. It was literally as he would pop the jab off and then sort of hold him when, when Barry came in close. And, you know, with this being new territory for Barry... You can sort of hear it when, when Harry Carpenter and Alan Minter are sort of discussing the fights sort of in between rounds and they're sort of mentioning the fact that this is the first time now moving into 11th and 12th and Barry ain't been here before. So Pedroza's been there several times 
and you start to think, you know, looking back at some of his other fights with with Pedroza, that you know maybe that extra experience might well be enough where we could land something big. Um, obviously, it didn't happen, and we know that, but it, it was just interesting to watch it back. And you know, one thing in the twelfth as well was that Barry did. He had, a, he had a, it was again, it was pretty eleven, sort of the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. They're all pretty similar. Where you know, Pedroza would use his feet at times, and then he, but he, he kept a nice composure about himself, but. He wasn't really doing much, and it was Barry that was really initiating a fight in it. And especially the 12th, he landed two nice left hands. Um, but, he, you know, he just continued to stalk the guy. And, and Pedroza, for me, I think at this point, I think he's thinking it's either going to be one lucky shot, rocks Barry, or he's just going to just continue with his sort of motion just to get through the fight. And I think that was basically, well, it was his survival mode a little bit, moving into sort of the same for the stakes. Yeah, I'd agree, and I think there isn't any. I don't think there's anything significant about the final three rounds of the particular fight to to really break down, other than the fact that the fight had, at this point for me watching it was like McGuigan's got this. It's his to lose now. He's he's made a significant dent in Pedroza. He's dropped him. He's really hurt him. You know, he's he's, he's won a lot of the rounds at, at this point. I'd I'd only given really Pedroza. Uh, a few of the rounds earlier on in the fight, and at this this point, I was McGuigan for me was was well ahead. It was just a case of make sure you get through the fight, make sure you don't get caught with anything stupid, uh, and don't take any risks now. But McGuigan still took risks in the last few rounds because he wanted to close the show. It was quite evident he was still putting his foot on the accelerator in that fight. He still wanted to to try and close that fight out and make sure he didn't lose that fight on the card. I mean, I don't think there was any way he could have been robbed that night at all because that was his night. That was that was definitely destined to be. But, you know, you've always got to have that little bit of, you know, doubt in your mind where you think to yourself, I need to do a little bit more just to ensure that I have won over the judges because, you know... Although he, he nearly stopped him on a couple of occasions, Pedroza was was obviously the, you know the champion that he was. He was he was a, an amazing champion, a champion for seven years, nineteen title defenses. He weren't just going to give up. He weren't just going to no matter what you did, no matter what you threw at him that night, he was always going to get back up. He was always going to be there till the end, and that's testament to the conditioning of him and 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 the way he put himself through the ringer to get himself in great physical shape for that particular fight, as he always did in his career. But going through them last few rounds of the fight, it was just all the same. You could feel the anticipation of a victory coming from Aaron McQuiggan. You could feel it in the crowd. You could get the sense of feeling from from all the fans. You know the cheers. You know you you, you can turn if. You can feel it yourself. You know, you know yourself on a big fight night, Johnston. When you're watching a big fight, you know yourself when it's coming towards the end, and you know the man that you've kind of supported is is just a couple of minutes away from winning. You know, a big, significant fight. You can feel that sort of anxiousness in yourself, even if you're not there at ringside. You can still feel it sat on the couch at home watching it, and that is exactly how you know you feel watching this particular fight. You can feel the anxiousness. You can feel, you know, the maybe what if. Pedroza lands just one more punch. What if he lands something on McGuigan and and that's it? You know that that's how it makes you feel. That's the type of emotions this fight makes you feel. So we get to the end of the fifteenth, and they're both exhausted. So you know, you know, normally you get one of them who's jumping for joy at the fact that he knows he's won that fight, and the body language actually doesn't tell you that. The body language is more about respect between the two of them, exhaustion, fatigue. And most of all, respect between the two of them. And the ring, it just absolutely filled within seconds. Are you 
this decision. Barry McGuigan has McGuigan as well. McGuigan is the champion of the world. They've all voted for him. And all 25,000 people in the stadium had already voted for him. At 24, the Cloners Cyclone has swept one of the world's great champions out of the way and is proclaimed a hero and a world champion. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, it was an amazing sort of watching... Uh, Barry's most significant fight, um, his most famous fight, and then just watching those last couple of rounds, especially. I mean, he did it. He had a little wobble again in the thirteenth for Joza, but um, he was never going to go down. I mean, he, he went down, but he was never going to stop him. And at times, you're sort of thinking, you do, you do just wonder. I mean, obviously, it's weird when you watch these fights because we know the results, but you do wonder. Like, you just, you just see, you could feel the anxiousness that. All you got to do, you got six more minutes, you got three more minutes, you got two more minutes. They got thirty seconds, Barry, and I think for for Pedroza, I think especially going into that fourth and fifteenth, it was just a matter of seeing this fight through now and and finishing as the champion should do on his feet, and that was basically what he wanted to do. He did, he wanted to go out in his shield, and I think he did that, and uh, he proved he was a worthy champion. I just for me, I think it wasn't his best performance on the night, but that wasn't because Pedroza it, it was on the slide as such. Um, I think it was more to do with the fact it, it was, but it was more to do with the fact that Barry was just so bloody good, and um, and that was credit to him. And he, he just you could see when when the crowd started to sing in the background, you, you know you, you got Barry. He sort of just give him another lease of life, and he looked at times sort of like as fresh as he did in the first round. You know, just just through that energy and through you know just just the, the feeling the crowd and and you know that 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 extra. Now those twenty six thousand singing his name and and just you know they they pushed him through for those last sort of few minutes. It's his first ever fifteen rounds he's ever had, and and uh, he actually managed to you know he finished the fight and he knew he won it. As you say, the, the ring was swamped. I mean they were it took ages to to say the result, and uh, there was only two judges and the referee. That was how it was back then. You didn't have three judges and. It, they didn't even read out the scorecards. It was literally, <laughs> <laughs> and the winner is Barry by unanimous decision. And then the, the place just went mad, and and it was just a fantastic atmosphere. And you know, Barry was obviously very, he was very emotional. Um, he was in there with uh, with his son as well, wasn't he? And uh, it was just, it was great to see just that, you know, just just seeing the crowd and seeing how, how happy everyone was, and Harry Carp and everything. You know, you had. Barry, um, you had uh, so you had Bruno at ringside, and there's a few other names. Uh, George Best was there, um, so it was uh, I think Norman Whiteside as well. So you know there was there was some stars in there, and everyone just just shared the moment, and it was you know as well as all those millions watching at home and the 26,000 in attendance. You know, God knows what it was like when with the Irish watching on there, probably small portables around each other's hands. It must have been off, and uh, and rightly so because it was just it was a great day and and, and a nice touch. Of, the whole thing was that Barry dedicated the victory to young Ali. Oh, no, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't think I could dominate the way I did. This man here has guided me from the word go, uh, said I could dominate it, and he just, he, what he said was right, and I'm so delighted, honest to God, I'm so delighted. I just, I dedicate this fight to the young kid, young kid that died when, fought, when he fought me in 1982. And I, want, I want to say that. It just wasn't an ordinary fight that beat him. It was a world champion. 
Yeah, it was. It was brilliant. That you know, unbelievable bit of emotion from him there, and you know, to, to, to the first thing he thinks of is to dedicate it to, you know, a guy who had passed away as a result of sharing the ring with him was, you know, evident that 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 was always there, and I can imagine even now, years down the line, that probably still haunts him, and I think that would probably haunt him till till the, the end of his days, to be honest with you. But yeah, just going back to uh, the way it was announced, it was quite funny because obviously they didn't even do a, uh, the scorecards as such to tell anybody what the scores were. They just basically said. <laughs> And the winner is Barry. <laughs> You're just like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he actually got yeah. scores of 148 to 138 from the referee, Stanley Christodoulou. And he had 149 to 139, 147 to 140. So all three of them, the, the, the two judges and the ref, obviously clearly scored it to him. It was evident. And I think the scores were, were, were right. And, you know, I think it's one of these occasions where I can say, yeah, I agree with that because I think he, you know, the first few rounds were highly competitive and you'd think Pedroza won a few, a few of the first few, four or five rounds, but then after that it was all McGuigan, you know, and then obviously he had the knockdown and the the, the, the round uh, where he, he nearly knocked him out, round nine, where it was quite a dominant round. So, yeah, I think it's probably the right call in that one. And I think we, we should really then focus on, on what the aftermath was for both men really for this particular fight because obviously this was a career defining moment this was the 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 legacy moment for Barry McGuigan but he would actually then go on to defend this title on a couple of more occasions he'd actually go on to to beat Bernard Taylor who we was talking about earlier who was actually 33-0 with that one draw against Pedroza on his record and he defended that at the Kings Hall in Belfast and then he defended it over in Dublin against Daniel Cabrera and then he lost it to Steve Cruz in 1986 going over to Caesars Palace Las Vegas losing his title via unanimous decision he had three more fights in his career in 1988 before ending his career with a loss to Jim McDonnell the trainer of James DeGale in 1989 by TKO and that was Barry McGuigan's career and he called it a day after that and you know you'll think he was you know, well within his rights to kind of call it a day at this point because, you know, he, he'd achieved what he wanted to achieve. He was still very young. He was still very young, to be fair. But obviously injuries didn't help the situation. And, and, and as a result, he decided to, to make the retirement. And, you know, he would go on to, to be classed as one of Ireland's greatest boxers because of what he'd achieved and what he'd done in terms of uniting people in Ireland, I think, was... What you mentioned earlier, Johnson, was more significant than anything. Yeah, he didn't become a two-weight world champion or anything like that, but he won a world title. He united a lot of boxing fans, not just in Ireland, but in the UK and across the world, to see a guy doing what he did. And I was I was really, really sort of pleased to, to sit back and, and watch through a few of his fights and watch this particular fight because I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the, the significance it had on the sport uh, and on and obviously on Ireland in general as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, c- I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, just, just touching on the old Steve Cruz fight, that is another cracking fight. You know, it did get fired a year, the Steve Cruz fight, and that was within, as we say, it was in season space. The outdoor stadium was absolutely roasting. Um, I think the vicar that used to travel around with Barry actually said that he was writing notes during the fight and the actual ballpoint of the pen melted. That's how bloody hot it was. So, now, if that fight was a 12-rounder, chances are Barry wins it um, because of the 
he went into the fifteenth, and yeah, he didn't. You know, he just he was unconscious, and at times I think he, and he was crying his eyes out on the stretcher. It was a great image of him sort of in the stretcher going into the back and Steve Cruz walking past sort of just gives him a wave and then Barry just bursts into tears when he sees all, all, all the fans sort of cheering him on and and all he kept saying as well to the vicar was um, please don't let me end up like young Ali so you know he was really worried about himself bless him and uh, it, was, it was a great fight though Steve Cruz fight it really was and, and um, again I would have, I would say to anyone go back and watch that one if you want to watch a great Barry fight but yeah, I mean, 27 years old, he retired. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, he obviously felt like he'd done enough. He didn't want to do no more. Um, I mean, and the other thing as well, with following the Steve Cruz fight, it was that was the time when um, he, uh, I believe, he, he retired. He didn't retire. He sort of just had a break. He had quite a long break. But um, he um, ended up uh, splitting with um, Eastwood, Mr. Eastwood. And... Uh, Basically, um, ended up with Frank Warren. He was a nerd and gets a nasty one. He went to a court proceedings, and you know, the usual malarkey that these, these boxers tend to have promoters. Um, so it, was, it ended in a bad way, really, because it was following that Steve Cruz fight. I think it was the last time they ever spoke to each other, and I believe that is the way it remains today. Um, not too sure if uh, Barney is still with us. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing so. I've not ever heard if he ever has sort of died or anything like that. Um, hopefully he hasn't. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, a bit of a sad one, really. And it just, again, it just shows you with boxing, you know, it tends to happen this way, especially when they're, after these big fights, these, I don't really know what it is with uh, the, the relationships just seem to break down between fighters and promoters. And, and this one was no different, unfortunately. No, no, you're right, it wasn't. And I think we should finally touch on, obviously, the career of Pedroza after this particular yeah. fight. He'd actually go on uh, to continue boxing as well, and he'd actually lose his next fight in Panama City to Edgar Castro, losing on a split decision to him before he had three victories on the bounce, and he ended his career in 1992 against Mario Gutierrez, losing on a split decision to bring an end to what, again, was a very significant career. And I think I said it earlier on in the episode of the fact that he'd actually for me probably be classed as the, the second best Panamanian boxer of all time behind obviously Roberto Duran and I think if there's any others that I've completely missed out and forgotten about then well it is what it is but I, for me Pedroza was obviously a name that you can't really compare to, to, to a lot of other fighters especially for what he did in the featherweight division but again fantastic fighter to watch looking back on him really enjoyed looking back on some of his fights and you know it just makes me wonder what he would have been like in 2019, fighting some of the guys we've got today. Cool, yeah, it would have been amazing. But I mean, he's. Uh, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think the one day that pops into my mind is pa- uh, Panama Al Brown. Um, but again, a lot of that stuff we read about, so we, we don't we don't really get the privilege of seeing him. So you know, I would I would put um, uh, uh, Pedroza in front of him, and um, so Laguna's another one. But um, I think I think you're right. I think Pedroza was slips in second behind the ram for Panama greatest ever um, and he did he, he actually ended up in a, uh, the uh, Cas- Casatonia's International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1999 um, and he did I, I believe he moved on to the Panamanian government which is a lot of you know with these small sort of um, countries they, 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 some of these big names they tend to, to move in that way with Pacquiao being another um, he, he become a chief and, uh, of uh, the general services uh, so um, yeah he, he was uh, he, he he done other stuff from that. Uh, he obviously another a, a great fighter. Um, 
Uh, the, I mean, the one thing I, I, I just wanted to say on, on my last part was uh, Barry McGuigan, just um, on at, after the fight, it was uh, it, it, it did say one thing which, which I thought was, was quite cool. And uh, he said, like, sort of coming home to Belfast and having 75,000 people waiting for me in an hour equaled that feeling of having, uh, having my hand raised. Uh, because mum's house caught fire, I came earlier. Apparently, mum's house burnt down on the way back, which I, I really don't understand what on earth happened, but apparently that's what happened. Uh, but 75,000 people gathered at the Royal Avenue within an hour of hearing I was coming. And in Dublin, three days later, three to 400,000 people gathered at the O'Connell Street. Um, I suppose... Um, that was, uh, I'm sorry, I suppose that was when I realised how much it meant to the Irish people, both north and south of the border. When I'm pushing up Daisy, that's the fight I will be remembered for. And and I'll tell you what, I absolutely was. It was a cracking fight. And, and just, just Barry alone, you know, leave the fight to McGuigan um, symbolises what Barry was all about. And the daddy boy before him with his dad, Pat, and, you know, obviously his dad died during his career. His brother died after him. Um, in sort of the 90s was suicide and recently he's lost his daughter Sandra as well so I believe it's that's the name Sandra but a bit of bit of a tough one for Barry but he's an emotional guy as well and uh, I do like Barry I know he's had his problems I mean we've had it with, with, with Frampton recently and we've, no one really knows quite knows what happened there and hopefully it doesn't go the same way as it did with Barney Eastwood but um, we'll see hopefully I'm hearing there should be a court there's a court case pending between those guys and I hope it doesn't come to that because again you know, Barry, for me, is a, is a guy I sort of I followed out of Irish family in fact, the most of me, and uh, they loved him. And um, they was always a guy I did see some of the old VHS videos of when I was a, when I was a little nipper, and and um, he he was a big big influence on the Irish people, and then rightly say he's a legend, absolute legend. He certainly is, and it's been a thorough pleasure to sit down and discuss this particular fight. So we're really, really appreciative of all the users of Twitter voting for this particular fight in this era, and we're really, really happy to go through it. And if you've enjoyed listening to it, of course, you know what to do. You know where to go and find us. We're on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and Facebook at BTR Boxing Podcast. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. If you do so, please also leave us a rating and a review and if you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can go to any good available podcasting app out there and you can subscribe on there. Please share the episode and please let us know what you think. Drop us an inbox, let us know your thoughts on it. Share your memories of this particular fight or your memories of any of these particular fighters involved in this and we've really thoroughly enjoyed breaking down the tale of Eusebio Pedroza versus Barry McGuigan. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual Network.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.